0: Just gonna look. Really, we got down through verse number five, so we're just gonna kind of pick up there, and uh, just kind of look here again with the this issue of the Pharisees and the scribes. They've come together. They're um, really going after uh, the Lord and His disciples, and that issue there about Christ's disciples not following the tradition of the elders and the tradition of men. Uh, Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And again, that issue of tradition, and we talked last time about the issue of washing uh, and so forth, that is a biblical tradition. It's scriptural. It's just that they begin to kind of pile on to it things that weren't there. The washing has to do with the priest getting them cleaned up for uh, the priesthood, the nation of Israel is a kingdom of is a, is to be a royal priesthood, a royal nation of priests. So they have this washing tradition uh, and actually the only verse that we saw last time that has anything to do with washing of hands had to do with washing, the priest washing their hands before they eat the showbread. <laughs> Nothing about anything else. So the washing of pots and pans and hands, really, it's that issue of tradition. And it's that issue of the traditions of men, the doctrines of men, the traditions of the elders, and that vain, a description of that vain religious system that they have, the religious traditions here. and. Honestly, the Lord violates their traditions on a regular basis. He does it uh, repeatedly. He does it intentionally. He does it uh, uh, systematically. I mean, man, he, if you've been studying any of the gospel, he repeatedly breaks up that Sabbath day tradition that they have. And he goes after them. Uh, again, he systematically violates their false concepts, their false teaching about what the Word of God was really all about, and they're upset with him. They actually get him. They're not upset that he's violating God's Word. They're upset with him because he's he's violating their traditions. Um, he he's not breaking the Word. He's not breaking. He's not doing anything. The Sabbath day we saw it in Matthew. We saw it in Luke. We saw it in John. And they, they're like, you're doing this on the Sabbath day? And he's like, yeah, but if your neighbor's oxen is in the ditch on the Sabbath day, you're going to go help him get it out. You know, so there's a moral issue. The morality always beats out the ceremonial, which is what the Sabbath day was really all about. So in, in 7.5, they, they get on him. Verse 6, He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye, have, ye hold the traditions of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now what's going to happen in verse six is he gives the answer. and the answer is a quote of Isaiah 29 verse 13. Now we'll get over there in just a minute, but what, again, what is he doing? This people, verse 6, honoreth me with their lips, that external service while their, but their heart is far from me. The heart, the internal. So he's going to go right to the problem here, right to the point. The point is what the problem is, is that you guys are focusing in on the external issues, the, the, the external defilement, rather than focusing and, and really ignoring the eter- internal defilement, the heart issue. Verse 7 howbeit in vain, again, empty. Useless, worthless, valueless worship here. You guys, are, you guys have a worship that has no value to it, purposeless. And again, the, uh, the way to get in trouble and really the beginning of the traditions of the elders and then the obedience to the tradition is what did they do? They departed from the word of God. That's the cycle that these guys have been in. And we'll go back here in a little bit, and we'll see that it really starts way back in the very beginning. They're not, the Lord, if you want to fall into the traditions and worshiping of the traditions and the following of the traditions, then you depart from the Word of God. If you're not following the traditions of men, then you are following God's Word. And really, that's what, what he is after. He's after the, their internal issue. They are seeking an external doing to excuse the defi- to clean up the defilement. They know they're defiled. But, so how do we clean it up? Well, we do this external activity rather than dealing with the heart and the internal. So verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as of the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. Lay aside, put it aside. Verse 9. And and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God. See there, that you may keep the tradition, uh, that you may keep your own tradition. Again, you're going to reject the word of God full well, full boat, so that you can come over here and... Keep something that's useless. It's worth, it's external. And again, what the Lord is getting at with the Pharisees and the scribes is this whole thing here about you guys are really just an absolute, total ignoramuses. You're in complete apostasy. And what what you've left is the truth of God's word and you've left what the real issue in worshiping of God is really all about. And that's the heart issue. That's the internal thing. So the essence of their, of their vain religious tradition, and really the essence of any of the traditions of men or the elders or religion, is this issue that starts here in verse 6. And that's that the people honoreth me with their lips, So that external activity, and yet their heart is far from me. There's nothing going on in the heart. They are constantly looking at the external religious activity. And they forgot the real source of the problem, and that's the heart issue. They see the defilement. They see all of that, and yet, so they focus in on, think about washing of pots and pans. It's, you, there's more to just washing the exterior, you've got to wash the interior. <laughs> there's a whole thing, and, and they're not doing that. They're just looking to see what's going on. So the discussion from verse, really, 6, 7, 8, 9, down through verse 23 now, is going to be where <laughs> the Lord is really going to focus in on the real issue here. And that, that's the source of their problem. That's that internal heart issue. If you look down at verse 20, and he said, That which cometh out of man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. By the way, there's 13 in that list. All these evil things come from within and defile man. The real defilement, the source of it, is what they're missing because it comes from within. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, all they're focused on is the external and not the internal. And what the Lord's going to do is you're missing the point. That's what you're missing. You're focusing in the wrong place. By the way, if you fix the internal... The external will get fixed, but we but they're trying to fix the they're trying to fix the internal by focusing in on the external, and they're missing the real issue, and that is in the heart. So all the tra- come over to Luke 11, and just get some more uh, insight in this. Luke 11. So the traditions. Of the elders, they're vain, they're worthless, they're empty. Luke 11. There's, they are, they make the word of God of none effect. Why? Because they're not. They've just, they've removed the word completely. They may have a footnote that this was found in Exodus somewhere, but they don't talk about that. They talk about this over here. Look at Luke 11, verse 38. And when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. So again, the issue of washing. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. The outside looks good but the inside is what a mess you've cleaned up on the outside i I love that Uh, many years ago i heard a guy uh he's like you know christians who fake it till they make it in other words they look good on the outside but inside they're just a mess and they run a facade up and that's literally what's going to happen here you guys look great Matthew 23, the con- you, you guys look like the white sepulcher, but inside you're just dry, dead bones. That's what you are. So what the Lord's going to do, uh, by the way, come back to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, uh, <clears throat> on your way to 23, but Matthew 6. That, that's why the Lord would say this in Matthew 6, 33. You need to fix the internal problem. Take a, let's fix the internal, then the external will fix itself. So in Matthew 6, 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, the things there are the physical things that the, verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. So there's the external things. But the Lord says you don't get the righteousness with getting the things done. See, you get righteousness first, and then the things follow that. So if I'm going to get my things, what do I have to have first? I've got to have that internal fix. And that's really the point here in really all of this with the Pharisees, Matthew 23. Now, in Luke 7, he calls them hypocrites. In Matthew 23, he, he, Matthew 23 is not Mark 7. Okay, I think I said Luke 7. It's it's Mark 7. Okay, Matthew 23 is a completely different event. But notice what he says in verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, what, hypocrites! Verse 14. You scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, hypocrites. Verse 29, hypocrites. Do you think they're hypocrites? I think so. And there's a point here because... What Isaiah said is, you guys are doing this. And what you're saying is, is your lips are doing me service, but your heart's far from me. That's what Isaiah 28 said. Again, we're going to get over there. But what I want you to notice is, is these guys are, ju- this issue about them being hypocrites. A, a-, a hypocrite is... They profess one thing, and then they go do something else. We're worshiping Jehovah, but we're really worshiping other gods, okay? We're doing this rather than that. And what happens is, is that the issue here of the Pharisees, notice it's the Pharisees and the scribes, Mark 7, Pharisees and scribes, the Pharisees, were a religious sect, we talked a little bit about this last time, that developed after the Babylonian captivity and prior to the time of John the Baptist. Okay, So they're a denomination within the, Israel, if you think of it that way. It's very funny, I had a guy many years ago, who's arguing to me about uh, the different denominations and how Christianity is all broken up. And I'm like, so? Israel was too. The Pharisees, the scribes, the the, uh, Sadducees, the Herodians, the lawyers, all these different groups that come up. They're, They're just little divisions in it. And again, they all share in common the issue of making the word of God void. So then, who are they? Well, I'll be honest with you, they go all the way back to Genesis 4 with Cain. That's where they start. Now, look at Matthew 23, look at verse 31. Why, I got you over here. Because we were talking about this last time, a little bit about, these guys have been around. The Pharisees, the title Pharisee that denotes the denomination, that's a relatively new term in Israel's Existence, after Babylonian captivity, then um, prior to John the Baptist, they pop up. But th- what they stand for, what they teach, has been going on since Genesis four. Okay, so just like I, I don't know, you think about the political parties that used to in this country. Back in, the, in Abraham Lincoln's day, he's the one that supposedly had birthed the Republican Party. But prior to that, what he stood for really sat over in a different party's name. I don't remember which one it is, so don't ask me. The Whigs, I don't know. Because I mean, you had the Democrats, you had the Republicans, you had the Freelanders, or the Free Slavers, you had the Slavers, you had all these different... But in reality, what happened? All those groups end up today in just the two parties, when you think about it, see? That's kind of what's happened in Israel. You got all these ideas with different names on them, but really they, can't, they come from one source, which is Cain in Genesis 4. Just notice, notice Matthew 23, verse 31. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Now watch. Ye serpents. Now that's not good, is it? They belong to the the adversary. They belong to Satan. Ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Now when he says generation of vipers... He's talking about not, he's not talking about this is this 40 years or 30 years or whatever. He's talking about who generated them. In John 8, he says to them, ye are of your father, the devil. Who generated these guys? Well, it's a guy that's associated with being a serpent and a viper and whose destiny is hell. I mean, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Hell was created for the devil and his angels. So these guys are literally under the satanic captivity. They're in that satanic bondage. They belong to Satan. So what, he, what the Lord's looking at them is going, look, guys, remember your lineage, remember your ge- geolo- uh, genealogy. Geology, yeah, remember your geology. Your genealogy. Remember your family. And you know what they say? They puffed, oh, well, we have father. Abraham is our father. No, your father is the devil. You can claim that all day long, but he's not talking about the physical. He's talking about the spiritual. He's not talking about the external. He's talking about the internal. Verse 34. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill. And crucify, and some of them shall ye, oh excuse me, scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel. Now that's Genesis four. Unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of, uh, of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Now that's 2 Chronicles 24. But the thing is, is where does it start? It starts, Genesis 4, with Cain and the killing of Abel. Now come over to Luke 11. Luke 11. And the par- a parallel passage. Here, Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 49. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Now that's timing. Because what's next? What's coming on these people? the 70th week of Daniel. It's time for him to avenge his enemies. What's he going to do? He's he's been storing up all this to this moment, and bam, he's going to wipe these guys out. Now, nobody knows that the mystery's coming or the dispensation of grace is coming. That's So he says this, verse 51, "...from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple." Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. By the way, woe unto you, lawyers! See that there's another group, the lawyers. So he's, you have been shedding the blood of the saints. By the way, you, not them specifically. None of these guys were alive back in Abel's day. The system, the, the whole mentality the whole thought process that vain religious system Baal worship think about Cain in Genesis 4 again who killed Abel well Cain did a few thousands of years prior to this actually 4 millennia <laughs> okay but see the thing is is what does he say not, not you individually but you as the representatives of the satanic policy and plan that's being carried out. What are you doing? You're taking the word of God, making it of none effect. Developed all these traditions over again. Traditions. This is how we do it. I said something Sunday about Easter and and traditions with family. Those are good to have as long as you're not worshiping the traditions. Are good to have. Why? Because you're with family. That's you know a, a core tenet in 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 our. Uh, I almost said doctrinal statement, but it's not even that. It's our our beliefs. Why? You've got volition, marriage, family, work, life, the world. So you've got that interaction there. Luke 11, I'm sorry, Genesis 4. Think about Cain. Cain is the first in the line of these guys who end up being called the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the lawyers. He's the first one. Because what did he do? Well, Adam taught them. Come come back to Genesis 4. I'll just look at it. and I can tell you, and then you can go, okay. Or you can look at it and read it and go, wow, look at that. (laughs) Thank you. Genesis 4. Look at verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. What was he? He's a farmer. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain, and to his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. What happened here? Well, Adam's a farmer. That's what Genesis 3. He's a farmer. Cain's the firstborn, then shows up Adam, I'm sorry, Abel. Adam looks at Abel and says, you're second in line, go tend the sheep out there. The first boy gets the right of the ownership of the farm, so, because he's the, the seed, is him. He's the line. So, you come on over here and they develop, they work the ground. Now, what happens? Adam teaches Cain and Abel that, well, look, we're going to bring a sacrifice, but it's got to be the lamb, the shedding of blood. That's at the end of chapter three. They learn that the process of time, okay, it's time, but Cain doesn't respond to the word of God. He comes out there and brings of his own volition, his own work, his own activity. Abel goes and does. God has has respect for Abel, not for Cain. So Cain gets mad. Why is this? So he goes out and has a conversation with his brother Abel and kills him. Verse 8, and Cain, by the way, verse 7, verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Doest well. Obey God's word. What was God's word? You bring a lamb at this point in time, and you shed the blood, and you do. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. Now, the his desire isn't Abel. His desire is sin. What's lying at the door? Sin. What's sin's desire? And thou shalt rule over him. See, you're going to have sin come, sin's knocking at the door. You let him in, he's going to rule you, but you're to rule it. You're to take care of business. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, Why hast thou done? What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me the, from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth. Now think about that. Verse 12: When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee your, her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now Cain's a farmer, and what's the worst thing you can do to the farmer? Take him out of the field. Get him out of the dirt. I was over at the, the Morgans, and we were digging in the dirt. I like to dig in the dirt. You know. Most, most guys do. Some, some don't. I don't know. I, I worry about those who don't like to dig in the dirt. But we're in there digging in the dirt. Why? Because that's what the farmer does. What does Cain do? Cain, God says, you can't be a farmer anymore. I mean, the most devastating punishment he could have given is now you're a wanderer and a vagabond. So what did Cain do? He went downtown, built him a city, named it after his boy, put a name on their prestige, a lineage, a heritage. But what did he do? He rebelled against the word of God. See, that's the thing. God, in total rebellion against what God said, he went and developed his own tradition. Cain said, I don't want what God said, I want to do it my way. I don't care what God said, we're doing it my way. And that attitude gets into humanity, because all mankind's that way. I'm sorry ladies, even you, okay, I know. But it trickles all the way down into Israel and into the very people that the Lord's dealing with in Mark 7. And it results in them killing him, and them crucifying him. By the way, it extends even today in the dispensation of grace. People don't like... uh, It always fascinates me when I talk to people, and I say, but what does that verse say? Well, it says that Cain killed Abel. But I don't believe it was really Abel. I I don't really believe it was Cain. I believe it was... Joe Schmo or whatever, it's a bad illustration. Okay. No, what does that verse say? Well, you just can't, you got to spiritualize it. So now Israel really means church, and Cain really means Rick, and this, And it's like, what does that verse say? Why? Because they don't like what the Word of God says. So they come over here and they develop something else. So what does he call them? He calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. Again, it's not really—it's about the individuals, it's about the character of the leaders in the nation. What are they? Hypocrites. They're hypocritical. By the way, you know that that's the case because of a guy by the name of Nicodemus in John. Nicodemus is one of these leaders, and yet what is he? He's a follower of Christ. Goes down there, meets with the Lord... Now, he does it by night, and he does a little things hinky, but at the end, it's him going and getting the body and bringing it into the tomb there, see? It's, so, I'm not talking about the individual. We're talking about the character of everybody. The character is all, the, the, this characteristics of them rebellion against God's word is in all of their history. Now, come over to Isaiah 29. And verse 13, which is where this quote is. And I think I made the wrong note. Nope, Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29, 13. So we're talking again when he says you guys are guilty of the blood of Abel, from the blood of Abel all the way to Zacharias, and he's not talking about them that they are the ones that killed them, it's rather who they're a part of. Okay? Um uh, they, they are guilty by association, we would say. That's what they are. Now look at Isaiah 29 and notice the quote, verse 13. Where, wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have excuse me, removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. Now that's the quote, "They have literally as a nation of people, they have left the Word of God, the whole nation." Okay Now I know there's a remnant. I got that. He's not talking about the remnant, he's talking about the whole nation. So the character the character in the condition in the nation is one of total and complete apostasy. They have left, Mark 7, full well, the whole nation has completely gone over into a leaving of the Word of God and a movement towards the traditions of the elders. Come over to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Psalms 119 and verse 126. Psalms 119 and verse 126. Again, it is time for thee, Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. What are they doing here? All through their history, what have they done? They've made void the law. What'd they do? Lips you honor me, but your heart's not with me. And you've gone after the traditions of the elders. You've gone after the traditions of men. You have completely and totally made the Word of God and made it of no effect. You've made it void. You've made it of no value. You've lost its impact. The design of the Word of God is to work effectually in them that believe. It's to work. But you guys as a nation, the whole of it, it's completely gone. It's completely done. Come over to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2. We were talking the other night about what's after Mark. And somebody, I think I said something about the Minor Prophets, so I started reading the Minor Prophets. Yeah, easy, light reading, you know. And it's very interesting how you begin to see some of what's happening in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. is just a continuation out of what the nation was doing. Malachi 2, verse 7. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. What is their job? Their job's to teach the law. Keep it there. Verse 8 starts with the word but, so we're in trouble. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, now watch, but have been partial in the law. What were they doing? What would sh- they should have been teaching the law, but instead they are partial to the law. They're going into the law and pulling out what they like and disregarding what they don't like. You ever find a verse like that? I got a few of them right now I'm struggling with because there's some things I want to do, but the verse says don't do. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but I want to do it. That's what they're doing. Hey, I want this, but the verse says you can't have that. Or in our case, you shouldn't have that. You better not have that, (laughs) but I want it. See, that's what they're doing. They are being partial. Come over to Habakkuk 1. I told you I read this. Habakkuk 1. And I was not reading it to find these passages, but when I found them, I noted them. I was like, wow, look at that. Look at Habakkuk 1, verse 3. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there, there are that rise up strife and contentions. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Notice what they're doing. Again, the law is what? Slacked. They're using part of the law that they're happy with, and they're ignoring. We didn't see that verse. What verse was that? No, that's not in my Bible. They're whitening out that. They're, they're covering it up. Why? Because they want to come over here. They're not using the full law. They want to develop the tradition of the elders. That's what they want to do. They're taking the traditions of men and they're substituting it for God's word. Now, come over with me to Isaiah, or back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. And just, again, it's very fascinating here. These are the very people, the descendants that the Lord's dealing with. And my point is, is that the Pharisees, the sects, they're new to Israel within the last couple hundred years in their titling, but not in their ideology, their theology. That's been going on since Cain, Okay. Uh, Isaiah 42. By the way, if you look at Islam, the study of Islam, there are some 5 to 10 different denominations of Islam that I, that I have read about in the last several years. Now don't, I'm not saying that's a definitive number. So when you begin to think about this, wait a minute, here's quote-unquote picture to everybody, this great solidarity, religion and there isn't there's different sects of it you know um anyway isaiah 42 isaiah 42 and look with me at verse 21 isaiah 42:21. here here's the contrast to all this they're in the kingdom 21 the lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake he will magnify the law and make it honorable That's what they should have been doing. He says, I've exalted my word above my name, therefore magnify my word. That's what they should have been doing. But they're not. They're over there. You know what? That commandment number nine needs to go away. I don't know what it is. Thou shalt not covet. Whatever. You can look it up. Well, we need to take commandment five and rewrite that bad boy. You know, that was, what's the one that they, that was, the forefathers never really thought about it the way we have to deal with it today. So they do what? They just keep heaping and piling on. They're making it look like they are doing something. And they really are what? Hypocrites. They're not doing what they should have been doing all along. Now, come over to Jeremiah 44. Because it wasn't just the leaders, okay? It's the whole of the nation. Jeremiah 44, you have Jeremiah here, verse 1, the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews which dwell in the land of Egypt, which dwell at Megadol and at Taphihes and at Noph Nof- and in the country of Pathros, saying. So we're talking about all the Jews, aren't we? We're not talking about just the leaders now. We're talking about everybody. Verse 15. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros, answered Jeremiah saying, again, it's all the people, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. We're going to lay aside the commandments of God, and you know what? We're going to go do what we want to do. And you know why? Because we've been doing it since Egypt. This is Jeremiah. Egypt was a 1,000 years ago, okay? Uh, not literally. You know, it's a shame you got to say that, but I've got nitpickers here lately. Hey, you said this, with me. and I was like, you know what, just go away. By the way, I have a great button on my desk. It's called the trash can. Delete, delete. I had a guy, you haven't responded to me. No, there's a reason. And I'm saying this to the computer never to him because I deleted it. No, I'm just not going to get into that. You know, Sometimes you've got to have a little bit of understanding of the whole of what's going on. What's happening here? Verse 17, what do they say? But we will certainly do whatsoever thing that goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her. As we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. Listen, Jeremiah, we've been doing... And by the way, Jeremiah is explaining to them why they're about to go off into captivity. So does Ezekiel. He's going to do the same thing. And they're sitting there going, listen... This is how we have been doing this since great-granddad. So we're going to continue because when we did this, everything was good. We had everything we needed because look at verse 18. But since we left off, to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her. We have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by family. And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship and pour pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? Jeremiah, as soon as we stop doing this and following the Lord, Jehovah, We've been nothing but beat up and trot. But man, when we were where we were in our traditions, in our religion, we were good to go. They are laying aside the word of God. They're adopting that vain religious system. And that's what's happening. You're in Jeremiah. Come over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 8. Ezekiel 8. Ezekiel, here too, he's going to explain again to Israel why they're going into captivity. Ezekiel 8, verse 2, Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins, even downward fire, and from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness as a color of amber. And he... "...put forth the form of a hand, and took me by the lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the visions of, of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoked to jealousy. Note, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain." Notice something. The Lord is talking to Ezekiel, brings him into a vision. He's going to tell he's telling Israel why they're going into captivity. We're in the temple. By the way, that image of jealousy that's idolatry. Okay? It's very interesting. I was studying Romans 11, getting ready for provoking Israel to jealousy. And guess what? Here's an image of jealousy. Yeah, it was very, anyway, that's what made me read this. Verse 5, Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar this image of jealousy in the entry. So he's in the temple in Jerusalem. He's by the altar. There's an image of jealousy. That's a bad thing. That's not a good thing. It doesn't belong there. They had a, they had brought an idol of Baal into the temple, and you know what they do there? We're worshiping Jehovah, and yet they're bowing to the idol, uh, the image of jealousy, the the, the idol there. Verse 6, He said, Furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do? Now watch what they do. Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here that I should go far off from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. You know why the glory leaves the temple in the next couple chapters? What are they doing in the temple? They're in Baal worship. They're in idolatry. So now verse 7, And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. You've heard of the hole in the wall, gang? Here it is. Here's the original one. So he's going to look over in this hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold a door. And he said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So let's go in and see what they're doing. Verse 10. So I went in and saw and beheld every form of creeping things and abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. By the way, you need to have Romans 1:23 written down by that verse. Those four-footed beasts and the creeping things. This is what that's what Paul's making a reference to in Romans 1:23 there. How they took the glory of God and changed it and made it into the corruptible man and brought it all the way down to the four-footed beasts and the creeping things. Here's what they did, what they do. They go into the temple, they take the glory of God, they get rid of it. They they take the law and they slack away from it. They don't hold true to it. They, they dismiss the parts they like or keep the parts they like, get rid of the stuff they don't like. They replace it with the traditions of men. Verse 11. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. Here's the, here's the leaders of Israel. And what are they doing? They've got incense and they are worshiping. Verse 12. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? That's Bob Jones Sr. used to say. Dad used to quote him. The character of a man is always determined by what he does in the dark, when no one's looking. Every man in the chamber of his imagery, his heart. For they say, The Lord seeketh us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said unto me, "Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abomination." You know, if I was Ezekiel, I said, "I'm done turning. I got the point." So he turns again, verse fifteen. Then said he unto me, "Hast thou?" uh, I'm sorry, verse fourteen. And he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was towards the north. And behold, there sat a woman weeping for Tammuz. Now Tammuz. Is the Greek goddess? She's the queen of heaven. At this time, Tammuz. She's the Greek. uh, Schofield's got a note here. Greek uh, Adonis. Adonis. Sorry, but she's the modern their queen of heaven. Verse 15. Then so weeping for, they're worshiping. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater. It's just over and over and over. By the way, verse 16, the end of the verse, and they worship the the sun toward the east. Now they're worshiping the sun. There's the sun god. All of this activity, see, come over to chapter 13. Here's what they're doing. It's all back here in the past. By the way, it's not a secret. It's out in the open. It's blatantly. There it is. They're not doing it over here. Here's what they're doing in the secret things and the hidden stuff. It's the hole in the wall. But look behind the wall. Here's what they're doing. But yet, what did the the Word of God just do? He just exposed it. So it's no longer secret. Uh, Chapter 13. Oh, chapter 13. Doesn't get any better. Verse, well, verse 4. O Israel, thy prophets are like the fox. In the desert, ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Notice what they're not doing. Verse 6, they're doing this, though. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. They're saying, hey, the Lord said this, and yet, guess what? The Lord said, I never said that. Verse seventeen. Likewise, the son of men set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesied out of their own heart, and prophesy and prophesy thou against them. And that's exactly what they're doing. Come back to Mark seven. Actually, go back to Isaiah. Well, for time. Oh. Mark 7, Uh, Isaiah 24, let's just do it, come on. I did this Monday night with the guys, and they're like, would you make up your mind? Come on, Isaiah 24. So in Mark 7, when the Lord talks about them being hypocrites, their hypocrisy is internal. He says, you're worried about washing of hands and pots and pans you're trying to get rid of the physical defilement. Yet you're full of corruption inside. You're defiled inside. You've got to clean that up. And this will work out. Isaiah 24, 1. The Lord, behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattered abroad the inhabitants thereof. Now, he's describing Isaiah is. Israel being sent into Babylonian captivity here, okay? But now, prophetically, he's looking at the last days, all right? So historically, in time, Israel's about to leave the the land. Prophetically, here's what's going to happen, verse 5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. That's what they're doing. Now, by the way, remember Daniel 7 in describing the Antichrist and one of the things that he does, Daniel 7, 25, actually, is he says he changes the times. So what are they doing? They're they're in here changing up the way that God, Israel is doing something here that they shouldn't have been doing. And what, this, what Isaiah is referencing back to is 2 Kings 16. So run back there to 2 Kings 16. According to my note from a long, long time ago. 2 Kings 16. Now, in 2 Kings 16, starting in verse 9, The king of Assyria is going to come up and take Damascus. But he's coming and taking the northern kingdom. The northern ten tribes are being carried away. Verse 9, And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Razan. And king Ahaz went to Damascus, Okay? Now, when he gets there, the verse says, in the middle, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent unto Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. So, what did he do? He pulled out his iPhone, took a picture of it, took all pictures of the details, Ask them if they had a blueprint, a, 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 a detail, did that, scanned it all in, sent it back to home. And Uriah the priest built an altar, verse 11 according to all that the uh, king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Isaiah came from. Damascus and when the king was come from Damascus the king saw the altar and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon notice what's happening here he's got all he's got this he he goes in to the king of Assyria there sees an altar is impressed by it says that's what we need back home sends the details back and uh, Uriah makes it verse 12 now they're (laughs) worshiping he's offering on it now, this is not God's altar. Okay? They're worship, they're saying they're worshiping Jehovah, but they're really over here in something else. They are hypocrites. Now watch verse 13. And he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured out his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering upon the altar. That's Leviticus 23. He does everything that Moses tells them they have to do. He's doing it, but just on the wrong altar. He's replaced God. Okay? Verse 14. And he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. Now, the brazen altar is where he should have been offering. That was the Lord's offering. But he's removed the Lord's offering now. He moves it to the other, to the, over in the corner. He put it over in the corner. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, "...upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meat offering and their drink offering and sprinkling upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice." Okay, Uriah, you take, we got this new altar now, and everybody's sacrificing on this. Now, watch the end of the verse. And the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Uriah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz had commanded. You know what he's saying? You know what the king's decree is? You make everybody all sacrifice on that pagan altar? But you leave the brazen over there in the corner because I'm going to go over there and use that in my divination. Am I talking to the dead? And I'm going to use that. That's for me. And that's for me to inquire by, to go in now and get into stuff, necromancy, what he's not supposed to be involved in. And that's where he's going to go. And again, complete and total apostasy. So come back to Mark 7. By the way, that is what Ezekiel is seeing. When Ezekiel goes in and looks behind the wall and the hole in the wall and digs down and goes into the secret, what he's seeing is exactly what 2 Kings 16 is talking about. That's when we went there, okay? Mark 7. That's why the Lord would say, Mark 7, verse 8, For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the traditions of men, as a washing of pots and cups and many other such like things. What are you going to do? You're laying aside the word so you can come over here and teach people. We've always done it this way. We've been doing this since Uriah and King Ahaz. We've been doing this since Cain. So we've been doing this really since the beginning. Verse 9. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Reject it. Why? So we can keep doing what we've always been doing. But the source of it all, that's what they're missing. They think it's an external thing, but yet God's, the Lord's like, no, this is internal. They thought the external Activities to purify them was more important than the internal heart purification, and that's what's happening. So now, the Lord, verse 10, and we'll pick up in verse 10 next time, verse 10 here, for Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curses father or mother, let him die the death, but ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say, a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to, to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Now the Lord is going to, he's using an illustration. Moses said, and we'll look at this next time, Moses says here, Exodus 20, that you're to take care of your mom and dad in their old age. But you say that if the young people bring a gift, that's what Corban means, a gift dedicated to God, Corban, Corban, okay? Then, in other words, they bring you a tithe. They bring you a, a monetary gift. Then you say you're free to go. You don't have to worry about mom and dad. Well, then what about mom and dad? <laughs> <They're> too bad. <laughs> okay? And man's, <laughs> that's what they're going to do. Again, it's Exodus 21, 17 is, is the passage. But the thing is, is again, you guys have rejected, you have adjusted God's word to fit your ideas. And the result is verse 13, you've made his word of none effect. So the illustration, we'll pick up there, it's a, the hour's up. We'll pick up there and we'll move forward. It's just fascinating. You see this here, but you know what you see today? Same thing. In, in the religious leadership and religion out there, what do you see? Well, this is the way we've always done it. So who are we? And, and what, what the body of Christ has done is out of this false idea of unity, of getting along, have just, just accepted, amalgamated it all in, assimilated it all in, that it's okay, and Paul's sitting there saying, no, man, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, you're to stand, you're to do, you're to hold fast, you're to keep, and I nah, would we'll just bring it all in, and it just gets all in a mess. The Apostle Paul says it very accurately in Romans 9 and 10 about these guys and 11. And again, that's our study Sunday morning. In chapter 10 he says they have a zeal of God, but just not according to knowledge. See, they're not in the right spot. They're over here doing something else. So that's who these guys are. The Pharisees, the scribes. It starts in Genesis. They're not. My point tonight, I guess, is this is nothing new. They've been doing this all along. That's where the tradition comes in. Here stands the Messiah, and he's looking at him saying, you've missed it again. So the wrath is going to fall on you guys. You're the ones that are in trouble. Okay? By the way, Mark 12 gets in there with Matthew where they like that religious title and the long robes. And again, we see a lot of this in the modern-day Christianity uh, with the Roman Catholics, but don't forget about some of the 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 Catholic-sympathizing Protestants that do the same thing. They just don't do it as blatant as the Pope and all those guys. The passage here in Mark 7, down through... Here, the Roman church hates. One, a lot of it's not in their Bible, but they just don't because it nails religion and it nails them. So, anyway, we'll talk about all that as we get there. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study, and for the folks that are here and their desire to look into these things. In your name we pray. Amen.